the weekly podcast from the First Church of Christ in East Palestine, Ohio. We're glad you've decided to join us, and we hope you enjoy this week's message. Good morning. How's everybody feeling this morning? All right, as we get started, let's go to God in prayer. Our Heavenly Father, we're so thankful that we have this opportunity on this Lord's Day morning to celebrate, to celebrate and to worship and to come hear your word proclaimed here in this house. Heavenly Father, we ask as, as we sing our, our songs that you hear the joy in our voice as we worship you. And as we gather around the table, help us to remember the sacrifice that was made. And Heavenly Father, as we hear the word proclaimed, help to change our lives and help us to live better and more directed towards you. Heavenly Fathers, as we're still cleaning up after this accident, we ask that you watch over our town and watch over the people that are working on the cleanup and hope and ask them to do it correctly and put it in their hearts to do it correctly. And we ask all this in, in Jesus' name. Amen. Philippians 4, <clears throat> 4 through 7 reads, Rejoice in the Lord always. I will say it again, rejoice. Let your gentleness be evident to all. The Lord is near. Do not be anxious about anything, but in every situation, by prayer and petition, with thanksgiving, present your request to God, and the peace of God, which transcends all understanding, will guard your heart and your mind in Christ Jesus. There are times when do not be anxious about anything. It's challenging. We've taken the exam, but, but we don't know the grade. We've had the interview, but we don't know if we have the job. The blood's been drawn, <clears throat> but we don't know if the cancer's returned. Or, as we're all very well aware of, a train wreck has released chemicals that we've never heard of before into our air and ground, and we don't know what the effects will be. Paul did not suggest this from a place of easy times. He himself was a prisoner of Rome at the time, and he did not send the letter to a church who was unchallenged. The church of Philippi was experiencing their own opposition and hardships. Paul's challenge is meant to remember that the Lord is still the Lord of all. Paul did not suggest that we do not prepare for the hardships. After all, we studied for the exam. We prepared for the interview. We took all the medications that the, that the doctor had ordered, and now we will take the precautions from this train derailment and listen to the facts and not the hype. We can follow Paul's advice and not be anxious, because although we do not know what our earthly tomorrows will bring, we do know what our eternal tomorrows will bring. And we know this because we've taken the ultimate step of preparation, because we have accepted Jesus as our Lord and Savior. We have accepted and follow a Savior who sacrificed himself to pay the price of our sins. And when we center ourselves on this, our earthly troubles, while not insignificant, can bring less anxiety. As we gather around the table this morning, let's focus on the sacrifice of Jesus and the hope of eternal life in heaven 
and the peace that that brings. Let's go to God in prayer. Our Heavenly Father, we're so thankful for this time that we have set aside every week that we gather around your table of remembrance and we gather around at your invitation and that we take these emblems, we take the bread to remember your broken body and the cup to remember your shed blood, that we remember that this, this was done in sacrifice for, our, for us to pay for our sins. We ask, we ask that you watch over us as we take these this morning. We ask that you be with us as we do. We ask it all in Jesus' name. Amen. Good morning, folks. Do you like how it looks up front? Do you like this look? Bare wood. Is, well, you know, we're doing carpet this week, so they started yesterday. Uh, some will do a little work today, but for those of you who want to, and those of you who are helping today, you know who you are. Two o'clock this afternoon is when they need your help. Uh, for the rest, anybody who can come in throughout the week, in the morning, throughout the day, uh, we'd love to have you. Monday, especially, we need people, and we need you to come with your drills because we need to screw down all the wooden floors. So we could use 10, 20, 30 people uh, uh, Monday. So President's Day, you're off, some of you. Come with your drills and, and help there. We'd appreciate that. Uh, so the carpet will be in, though, should be in downstairs, should all be uh, done by next Sunday, uh, this portion. And then we'll have the balcony to do and, and that. So uh, if you can help, though, and you can come out throughout the week, that would be great. That would be appreciated. Please look over the other announcements in here if you would. Please bear with me today. I have a cold. So uh, I, I checked for you who are concerned. It's not COVID. It's just a cold. So you're safe. But it is a cold, so you might want to keep a little bit of distance. Uh, we do have Wednesday night Bible study this week uh, and our uh, soup and salad sandwich. We would be happy for you to join us in that. It's a great time together. Just look over the announcements, number of things coming up, uh, once you be aware of. You notice we have water out here. Uh, we, we're getting water throughout the week. People are calling and bringing in water. So we're getting water throughout the week. If you need water, take water home. Take one, two, three, whatever you need. We're getting more water tomorrow. And there's, there's this water being given out all over town. If you need water, uh, just go down and, through town and look, and it's being given out for free. This is for free. Please take it. We need to get it out of here because uh, more is coming in. So please take some water. I, I do want to tell you that uh, we've had people from all over the country calling and offering help. On Friday was a crazy day. I took over 30 phone calls. I don't know how many phone calls Ryan took, but we took a lot of phone calls, people calling from just about every state. West Virginia, Florida, Texas, California, Oregon, North Carolina, South Carolina, Colorado. We've had people calling saying, hey, uh, if you need, we had a person from Oregon and Colorado call and say, if somebody needs a place to stay, they can stay with us. <laughs> And I wanted to say, well, but indefinitely, you know. So if you know anybody who wants to move out west, now's the time to do it. Uh, but people have been so generous calling and wanting to donate money, wanting to donate clothes. And I had a person from Long Island call. They want to bring a truckload of water from Long Island. And I'm trying to discourage them, saying that doesn't make a lot of sense, you know, to drive from Long Island all the way to here with a pickup truck of, of water. But uh, people just want to help every all day long. So we're going to put somebody in charge of uh, uh, as a disaster coordinator. So uh, Ryan and I aren't going to be on the phone all day long, every day.
but uh, we really appreciate people from all over the country. So you know that you're in the prayers of a lot of people. We do have a disaster fund, and people from all over the country have been donating to that. You can go to our Facebook or the webpage and donate to the disaster fund. So if you know somebody who needs help because of the train wreck, because of what's going on financially, Send them here. We'll see what we can do. There's uh, FEMA's coming in too, but we, we can help too. So uh, do that. Uh, let us know if people you know that might be in need, might need help. Please do look over the announcements and also the prayer list here. Uh, Paige Falk will be having surgery uh, this Thursday, February 23rd. She has just a young girl has a tumor uh, that has to be moved from her jaw. So uh, please keep her in your prayers. That's going to be a very difficult surgery. And also keep Debbie Humphreys in your prayers. This is Stephanie Peck's mother. She had a, a aortic aneurysm with multiple symptoms. She has failure of the kidneys and the gut. She has a second surgery today uh, to, uh, looking for further issues. And she's also going to have a leg amputated due to blood loss. So she's facing a lot. Debbie Humphreys, add her to your prayer list. Let's take a moment and go to God in silent prayer. Amen. I'm going to apologize to you folks. You know, when you have a cold, sometimes you're forgetful. But I can't blame it on that because I'm always forgetful. Uh, but I forgot to bring the jump drive down today, so you will not have slides. Uh, if you want to see the slides for the sermon, you're going to have to come second service. So you're going to have to pay more attention as we go along here. Do you ever have doubts? Do you ever have doubts? I think we all have doubts. Right now, I think in East Palestine, a lot of people have doubts. You're doubting whether the water is safe to drink, whether the air is safe to breathe, whether um, it's safe to live even in East Palestine. You know, there are people who won't make deliveries here now. So, uh, so we, we wonder, we, we have doubts. Uh, uh, when people are telling us things are safe, we have some doubts. But that's one thing. But do you ever doubt your faith? Do you ever have a doubt that does God exist? Is what the Bible says true? Is Christianity real? Have you ever had those doubts? Well, if you have, I want to tell you you're in good company because John the Baptist, I don't know if you realize this, but John the Baptist had doubts also. And he knew who John the Baptist was. He was the one who paved the way for Jesus. He's the one who first told us, hey, this man, he's the Messiah. He's the Christ. He's the one that was prophesied to come. He's the one who pointed to, to Jesus and said, look, the Lamb of God who takes away the sins of the world. And people understood what he was saying. He's like the Passover lamb. They caught that. He's the Messiah. So he's the one who said all that. And Jesus praised John as the greatest man who ever lived. But in spite of all those things, he still had doubts. Near the end of his life, he experienced doubts. Matthew chapter 11 if you want to turn to that in your Bible, since we do not have the slides, Matthew chapter 11 and in verse 2, and we're just going to look at a few verses here. Uh, verse 2 and 3. When John heard in prison what Christ was doing, he sent his disciples to ask him, are you the one who was to come or should we expect someone else? So here we're wondering, now why in the world is John questioning Jesus' identity? How could a man of such strong character now be a victim of doubt near the end of his life? Well, in verse 2, I think we see a couple reasons for his doubting. Uh, reasons for his questioning. 
And the first reason for John's doubt is simply his circumstances. He's finding himself now in this dungeon after serving God. Uh, he's confined to this dungeon, uh, this muggy cell, and he did not deserve to be there. I mean, he had to be thinking that. Uh, he was a faithful preacher, preparing the way for the Messiah. He was a humble servant of, of, of Jesus, and when Jesus stepped on the stage, he stepped back and said, he must increase, I must decrease. He was a courageous prophet. He, he preached boldly against sin. In fact, it was that that God had thrown into prison. He was preaching against Herod, having his brother's wife. And uh, his brother's wife really was the one who did not like that, and, and he was thrown in prison. And, of course, you know, later on he's going to be beheaded well, uh, because of that. But anyhow, uh, he's a faithful preacher, and he's thrown into this dungeon. William Barclay uh, tells a little bit about Carlisle's castle. He says you can, you said you could visit the dungeon cell there, and, and there was a window, but the window was too high for anyone to see out. But if you got up on a ladder and you looked at the windowsill, you would see two depressions where people over the years would grab onto the window and pull themselves out so they could look out and see a little greenery. John did not even have a window. He was in this deep, dark dungeon, and he's beginning to wonder about some of these things. Uh, none of this seemed to make sense to him. This is not how he expected his life to be at, at this point in time. Well, if Jesus is the Messiah, why now does he have to fight with these roaches and these rats? Why doesn't Jesus release him from prison? And you know, unpleasant and difficult circumstances can create doubt in our lives even today. You might wonder, is there really a God when the doctor says cancer? When you discover your child is a slow learner? Or that you are really struggling to make ends meet and here somebody has no interest in God at all and he's making money, uh, all kind of money, hand over fist? Now, we know the Bible tells us that we, as Christians, we need to be prepared for unpleasant circumstances. The Bible says the rain falls on the just and the unjust. That is, God does not play favorites. And so we, know not shed, we should not say, that shouldn't happen to me or my family. Because the Bible makes it clear that a tragedy can happen to anyone. We know that intellectually. And we know that's what the Bible teaches but when tragedy strikes, it's natural to have some doubt. Even John the Baptist here questions the messiahship of, of Jesus. So his circumstances caused him to doubt a little bit. And then the methods of Jesus, how Jesus did things, that caused him to doubt. John had already identified Jesus as the messiah, but probably like other Hebrew people, he believed that the messiah was going to be a political power. He believed, as many of the Jews at that time, that when the Messiah came, he was going to become king, and they were going to overthrow the Roman Empire, and the Jewish nation would be very strong and, and powerful. That's how they saw the Messiah. But he doesn't see Jesus doing that. All he sees is Jesus going around preaching. And then he, uh, John predicted the Messiah would uh, put the wheat in his barn and, and, and burn up the shaft with unquenchable fire. But Jesus didn't seem to be uh, doing that, uh, judging sin like that. In fact, he associated with sinners. He ate with tax collectors. So John begins to wonder 
if he was a little premature in saying that Jesus, identifying Jesus as the Messiah, maybe he's thinking of Isaiah chapter 42, verse 7. It predicts that when Messiah comes, he will free captives from prison and release from the dungeons those who sit in darkness. But here he is in the dungeon, sitting in darkness. And while John is rotting away in that cell, Jesus is traveling throughout Judea and Galilee, gaining popularity and preaching. So John begins to ask Jesus, are you really the Messiah? Are you really the Christ? Are you the one we're supposed to be looking for? So sometimes the way God works in this world causes us to have some doubts. His methods cause us to have some doubts. Isaiah 55, 8 reads, For my thoughts are not your thoughts, neither are my ways your ways. God's ways at times seem slow to us. God's ways at times seem unfair to us. At other times, it seems like he's not working at all. So it can be difficult for us to believe in God when we see God acting differently than we would act in a certain situation. God's ways and his reasons for doing things do not always make sense to us. And maybe he will tell us why he did things certain ways when we get to heaven. But between that time, while we are on earth waiting to get to heaven, we wonder, God, why are you working this way? And that's the question that John had, and that brought some doubt into his life. But notice this, John dealt with this doubt. It, it says in verse 2, he sent his disciples to Jesus. There are two types of doubters. There's the dishonest doubter, and there's the honest doubter. I used to have a friend uh, named Lynn, and uh, I grew up with Lynn. He went to church with me every so often, but he was not a believer. And, and I said to Lynn, why don't you believe? He says, it doesn't make sense. And I said, well, what do you mean it doesn't make sense? Well, it just doesn't make sense. Well, you, you think God doesn't make, doesn't make sense. I said, why do you say that? He said, well, I just feel it doesn't make sense. And a lot of people are like that. They never honestly search. They never honestly examine. They don't want there to be a God. What happens when there's a God? What happens if the Bible's God's word? Now i got to conform. I need to listen to what I have standards. There's a certain way I need to live. I now have someone telling me what to do. So there are a lot of people, they, don't, they, they doubt, not because they've examined, not because they've uh, investigated, uh, but simply because they don't want there to be a God. So they feel there's no God. Dishonest doubters. And then you have the honest doubters. Like John, people who ask questions. They want to look and investigate and find out what's going on. Thomas was an honest doubter. Doubting Thomas, that's what we call him, isn't it? And remember, uh, when the disciples were there the first day of the week, when Jesus went into the room after his resurrection, Thomas was absent. He did not see Jesus. And when the disciples told him, hey, the Lord's risen, no, he's not. I'm not going to believe that till I see it. And the next Sunday, of course, Jesus came into the room with the disciples again, and Thomas was present. And he said, my Lord and my God. It's not wrong to ask questions. It's not wrong to have doubt. It's not wrong to investigate, objectively investigate the evidence. That's what Jesus wanted John to do. Verse 11, Jesus doesn't condemn John. Right after his inquiry, in fact, Jesus says, I tell you the truth. Among those born of women, there has risen 
no one greater than John the Baptist. Now he's doubting. He's asking, Jesus, are you the Messiah? And Jesus saying, listen, I understand your doubt. But Jesus is also going to help him with his doubt. Someone said, he uh, who never doubted, never thought. And, and, and that's probably true. When we doubt and we examine, it helps to strengthen and build our faith. So I want you to see how Jesus helps John resolve his doubt. We're going to look at verses 4 and 5 in just a second here. And I want you to notice as we look at these, Jesus did not express irritation with John because of he doubted. He didn't say to John's disciple, you, you go back to John, you tell him, man, I'm really disappointed in you. If there was anyone that I thought I could count on, anyone that would always be a believer, I thought it would be you. John, I am just so disappointed. Where's your faith? That's not what he says. And, and he didn't answer John's question directly either. He did not say, you disciples, you go back and you tell John, yes, buddy, I am the Messiah. I am the Christ. You're 100% right. I'm going to die, and I'm going to resurrect from the dead. Just keep going. Have faith. He doesn't say that either. I think John would have liked him to give a direct answer, but he did not. But Jesus gives John evidence to investigate. Verses 4 and 5 says, Jesus replied, Go back. This is Jesus talking to John's disciples. Go back and report to John what you hear and see. The blind receive sight. The lame walk. Those who have leprosy are cured. The deaf hear. The dead are raised. And the good news is preached to the, pure, uh, the poor. Now John was probably hoping that Jesus would say, yes, I'm the Messiah. That's an easy answer. But instead he says, listen, you go back and tell John the blind seem, the lame rock, the, the dead uh, are, are raised. You see, Jesus, in a sense, is giving John an assignment. What's the best way to learn? It's when we discover truth on our own, isn't it? When we investigate and discover something to be true. And that's what he's telling John to do here. I'm healing the blind. I'm healing the lame. I'm raising the dead. I'm preaching the word. So as his disciples take this back to John, and there he is in prison. Now remember, John's a prophet. He has a good grasp of the Old Testament. As Jesus sends this back to John, maybe John's thinking now, yeah, Isaiah 29, 18. Yeah, Isaiah. There the Old Testament prophet predicted when the Messiah came that he would give hearing to the deaf and sight to the blind. That's what Jesus is doing. That's what he's doing. Uh, and maybe he's thinking of Isaiah 61, verse 1, where it says, the spirit of the Lord uh, uh, is upon me. And has anointed me to preach the good news to the poor. And that's exactly what Jesus said he was doing. Maybe, you see, John's connecting this now. And maybe he's thinking of Ezekiel chapter 37, verse 13. It says, then you will know I am the Lord when I open the graves and bring you up from them. I think when John heard what Jesus said and thought about those Old Testament scriptures, I think the adrenaline began to to flow and the excitement began to build and he understood that's it that's it you know Jesus is indeed the Messiah the Christ he's just acting in a different way than I anticipated that he would act so in verse 6 Jesus says of John this doubter notice what Jesus says blessed is the man who does not fall away on account of me he's saying John my ways may be difficult for you to understand but if you are faithful, in the end, you're going to be blessed. We don't always understand every way God works in our life. But if we are faithful, like John, we will be blessed 
in the end. Now, if you have ever had doubts about Jesus, I just want to encourage you to be an honest doubter. And if you have friends who are doubters, teach them to be honest doubters, to examine the evidence. Examine the claims that Jesus made. During his earthly ministry, Jesus said, I am God. I mean, he made that very clear. He claimed that. John 14, 19, he said, I and the Father are one. If you have seen me, you have seen the Father. You know, Jesus is unique among world religious leaders. Buddha never claimed to be God. Mohammed never claimed to be Allah. But Jesus said, if you have seen me, you have seen the Father. And he got crucified. Why did they crucify Jesus? Because he was healing the blind? Because he was raising the lame? No. He got crucified because he claimed to be God in the flesh. Buddha simply said, I am a teacher in search of the truth. But what did Jesus say? He said, I am the truth. Confucius said, I never claimed to be holy. Jesus says, which of you accuses me of sin? Mohammed said, unless God throws his clerk of mercy over me, I have no hope. Jesus said, unless you believe in me, you will die in your sins and you will have no hope. C.S. Lewis, a professor at Oxford, emphasized that one cannot be neutral concerning Jesus. He said, I'm trying here to prevent anyone saying the really foolish thing people often say about Jesus. I'm ready to accept him as a good moral teacher, but I don't accept the claim that he is God. That is one thing, Lewis says, we must not say. A man who is merely a man and says the sort of things that Jesus said could not be a great moral teacher. He would either be a lunatic or he would be the devil of hell. You must make your choice. Either this man was the son of God or he is a madman or something worse. Lewis said, let us not come up with any patronizing nonsense about his being a great human teacher, but not the son of God. He has, left, he has not left that option open to us. He did not intend to. Jesus said, if you see me, you've seen the Father. So the first thing we need to do, if we have doubt, is examine his claim. He doesn't claim to be God. We don't have to think about that. But he makes that claim. Secondly, we need to examine his credentials. Jesus didn't make wild claims to be God. He, he made these claims and he proved it by his perfect life. Pilate said, I find no fault in him. He proved his deity by his incomparable teachings. His followers, even critics, said never a man spoke like this man. He's a model teacher. Rousseau, the, the French philosopher, compared Jesus to Socrates. He said, if the life and death of Socrates were those of a sage, and then the life and death of Jesus were those of a god. And Jesus proved his identity by his supernatural, things that he did. If any one of you were to come to me and say, you know what, uh, I'm God, you know what I would say? Prove it. Let's go down to the Ohio River. And uh, how about you walk across the water? And then after you walk across the top of the water, get to the other side, how about dividing that water and walking back to me on dry land? Let's go down to Grandview Cemetery and see how many people that you can raise from the dead. Or maybe even the greatest miracle of all, if you claim to be God, 
Can you give our politicians some common sense, you know? <laughs> Jesus didn't just claim to be God. He proved himself to be God. He healed the sick. He restored sight to the blind. He raised the dead. He multiplied the loaves and the fishes. He calmed the storm. He cast out demons. He uh, uh, withered a tree, and he walked on water. When Peter preached the first gospel message, the first opportunity for people to become Christians, we read about this in Acts chapter 2, verse 22. He said, men of Israel, listen to this. Jesus of Nazareth was a man accredited by God to you by miracles, wonders, and signs, which God did among you through him as you yourselves know. Napoleon said, I know men, and he said Jesus was no mere man. The ultimate proof of Jesus' deity, of course, was the fact that he rose from the dead. Peter said, God has raised this Jesus to life, and we are all witnesses of this. And Peter was willing to die for that. No other figure in history claims to have conquered death. Jesus predicted he would do it, and then he did it. And that makes him completely unique. That says, sets him above every other religious founder. That proves that he is exactly who he claims to be, God in the flesh. Simon Greenlee was a professor uh, uh, of law at the uh, Harvard University. He wrote a book entitled The Principles of Legal Evidence. Three of his students challenged Greenlee. They said, take the principles that you have written in this book and apply them to the resurrection of Jesus Christ and tell us if he really did resurrect from the grave. And Greenlee accepted the challenge. And afterwards, this is what he said. There is no better documented historical evidence than that for the resurrection of Jesus Christ. And I believe you can convince any jury in America that Christ arose from the grave. So the question is, how much evidence do you need? Examine the impact his life has upon thousands of people. What force was it that changed Saul of Tarsus, who went around persecuting Christians and throwing them in jail? What changed him? Why did he become now a Christian who was willing to suffer and die preaching the gospel of Jesus Christ? It's because of the resurrection of Jesus. What changed C.S. Lewis, who was a non-believer, who was an atheist? What caused him to become a believer? For many years, Lewis was a professor at medieval, uh, at Oxford uh, and a University and, and Cambridge University, and, and he taught uh, medieval and Renaissance history. He began to study the scriptures, trying to be objective as possible, not wanting to believe, he said. Lewis said this, I came kicking and screaming into the kingdom of God. But he said, to consider the greatest influence for good the world has ever known could live a colossal lie was not a rational position to hold. One writer described Jesus this way. You've heard this before. He said, I am far within the mark when I say that all the armies that ever marched, all the navies that were ever built, all the parliaments that ever sat, all the kings that ever reigned put together have not affected the life of man on this earth as powerfully as that one solitary life of Jesus of Nazareth. Now it is not a sin to doubt. Sometimes circumstances perplex us. Why is God working the way he works? His methods perplex us. But when doubts arise and fears assail, objectively examine the evidence and you will weep at the cross 
and you will shout for joy at the tomb. For Jesus is who he claimed to be, the son of the living God. So if you're here this morning as a Christian, you can be assured that uh, Jesus is indeed who he claimed to be. And if you're here this morning and you haven't accepted Christ, well, get rid of that doubt and do what you need to do. The Bible says to become a Christian, we need to have faith that leads us to be obedient, a faith that leads us to repent of our sins, to confess Christ, and to be baptized into him. Uh, the Bible says so we can receive the forgiveness of sins and gift of the Holy Spirit. So every Sunday we offer an invitation. If you're here this morning, you're not a Christian, you want to become one, as we sing the invitation hymn, if you come forward, we'll take your confession and we can baptize you into Christ Jesus this morning. Stop the doubting. Start believing. Let's stand as we sing together. Thanks for listening. If you would like to join us in person, we meet on Sundays at 8.45 and 11 a.m. and on Wednesday evenings at 7 p.m. Have a great week.